Forlock Forbach Reads. Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library. Welcome to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. Are you ready for more spectacular supernatural poetry? Last year, I read 12 of the best spooky poets of all time, starting all the way back in ancient Greece and moving throughout the centuries until the start of the 20th century. But right before copyright laws began. I am back to introduce you to 12 more fantastical poets throughout time, and we'll be supplementing their poetry with some historical facts that happened around the same time the poetry was written. So let's head to ancient Rome and talk about our next poet, Ovid. Publius Ovidius Naso, or more commonly referred to as Ovid, was born on March 20th, 43 BC in Salmo, Italy. His family was an important equestrian family during the reign of Augustus Caesar. Both Ovid and his brother excelled at oratory, or the practice of formal public speaking. Ovid's father wanted him to study rhetoric and law, but when his brother died young, Ovid gave up his studies to travel and write poetry. Needless to say, his father wasn't very happy. Nobody is exactly sure of the chronology of his earliest poems. However, even then, he had created a style of writing elegaric metered poems charged with eroticism. By 8 AD, he had completed what would be his most famous work, The Metamorphoses, a 15-book epic poem cataloging the various Greek and Roman transformation myths. Around this time, Ovid was exiled by Augustus to Tomis, an island on the Black Sea, due to, in Ovid's words, a poem and a mistake. What really caused his exile is still highly contested among scholars. During exile, he wrote two more poetry collections, expressing his loneliness and longing for Rome and his wife. However, he would die in exile. I will be reading two encounters with mythological monsters from the Arthur Golden translation, which is considered to be one of the most popular English translations of the Metamorphoses. And this translation was written in 1567. Here are some historical facts from 1567. Portugal wins the Battle of Rio de Janeiro, forcing out the French. Henry Stuart, husband of Mary, Queen of Scots, is murdered. Mary would go on to marry James Hepburn, 4th Earl of Bothwell, but lose the Battle of Carberry Hill, causing her imprisonment and abdication of the throne. The Yoda clan, 
led by the great unifier Oda Nobunaga, captures Gifu Castle from the Saito clan in Japan. Considered one of the most influential designs in architecture, construction begins on Villa Capra, or La Rotunda. And now, on to the Metamorphoses. The first tale I will read from involves Jupiter turning the young nymph Io into a cow. But Jupiter's wife Juno suspects something and sets the many-eyed Argus as a guard over the transformed Io, whose distress causes Jupiter to send Mercury to kill Argus. Now when that Juno had by gift her husband's lament got, yet altogether out of fear and careless was she not. She had him in a jealousy, and thoughtful was she still, for doubt he should invent some means to steal her from her, till, to Argus, owed Arister's son, she put her for to keep. This Argus had a hundredth eyes, of which by turn did sleep always a couple, and the rest did duly watch and ward, and of the charge they took in hand had ever good regard. What way soever Argus stood with face, with back or side, to Io ward, before his eyes did Io still abide. All day he let her graze abroad. The sun once underground, he shut her up and by the neck with Rytherin with her bound. With crops of trees and bitter weeds now was she daily fed, and in the stead of costly couch and good soft feather bed, she sat a nights upon the ground. And on such ground whereas was not sometimes so much as grass, and oftentimes she was compelled to drink of muddy pies. And when she did devise to Argus for to lift her hands in meek and humble wise, she saw she had no hands at all. And when she did essay to make complaint, she lowed out which did her so affray that oft she started at the noise and would have run away. Until her father Enoch Banks she also did resort, where many a time and oft before she had been wont to sport. Now when she looked in the stream and saw her horned head, she was aghast and from herself would all in haste have fled. The nymphs her sisters knew her not, nor yet her own dear father. Yet followed she both him and them, and suffered them the rather to touch and stroke her where they list, as one that preached still to set herself to wonder at and gaze upon their fill. The good old Enoch pulls up grass, and to her straight it bears. She, as she kissed and licked his hands, did shed forth dreary tears. And had she had her speech at will to utter forth her thought, she would have told her name and chance and him of help besought. 
but four because she could not speak. She printed in the sand two letters with her foot, whereby was given to understand the sorrowful changing of her shape. Which seen straight cried out her father Enoch, Woe is me! And clasping her about her white and seemly heifer's neck and crystal horns both twain, he shrieked out full piteously, Now woe is me again! Alas, art thou my daughter dear, whom through the world I sought and could not find, and now by chance art to my presence brought. My sorrow certes lesser far a thousandfold had been, if never had I seen thee more than thus to have thee seen. Thou standest as dumb, and to my words no answer can thou give, but from the bottom of thy heart full sore sighs dost drive as tokens of thine inward grief, and dolefully dost moo until my talk the only thing left in thy power to do. But I mistrust in nothing less than this so great mischance, by some great marriage earnestly did seek thee to advance, in hope some issue to have seen between my son and thee. But now thou must a husband have among the herds I see. And eck thine issue must be such as other cattle's be. Oh, that I were a mortal white, as other creatures are, for then might death in length of time quite rid me of this care. But now, because I am a god, and fate doth death deny, there is no help but that my grief must last eternally. As Enoch made this piteous moan, Quick-sighted Argus drave his daughter into further fields to which he could not have access, and he himself aloof did get him to a hill, from whence he sitting at his ease viewed every way at will. Now could no longer Jove abide his lover so forlorn, and thereupon he called his son that Maya had him born, commanding Argus should be killed. He made no long abode, but tied his feathers to his feet, and took his charmed rod, with which he bringeth things asleep, and fetcheth souls from hell, and put his hat upon his head, and when that all was well, he leaped from his father's towers, and down to earth he flew, and there both hat and wings also he lightly from him threw, retaining nothing but his staff, the which he closely held between his elbows and his side, and through the common field went plodding like some good plain soul that had some flock to feed. And as he went, he piped still upon an autumn reed, Queen Juno's herdman, far in love with the strange melody, bespake him thus. Good fellow mine, I pray thee heartily, come sit down by me on this hill. For better feed I know thou shalt not find in all these fields. And as the thing doth show, it is a cool and shadowy plot for shepherds very fit. 
down by his elbow, by and by did Atlas' nephew sit. And for to pass the time withal, for seamen over long, he held him talk of this and that. And now and then among he played upon his merry pipe to cause his watching eyes to fall asleep. Poor Argus did the best he could devise to overcome the pleasant naps. And though that some did sleep, yet of his eyes the greater part he made their watch to keep. And after other talk he asked, for lately was it found, who was the founder of that pipe that did so sweetly sound? Then said the god, there dwelt some time a nymph of noble fame among the hills of Arcady that Syrinx had to name. Of all the nymphs of Nanacris and fairies far and near, in beauty and in personage, this lady had no peer. Full often had she given the slip both to the satyrs quick and other gods that dwelt in woods and in the forests thick. Or in the fruitful fields abroad, it was her whole desire to follow chaste Diana's guise in maidenhead and attire, whom she did counterfeit so nigh that such as did her see might at a blush have taken her Diana for to be. But that the nymph did in her hand a bow of cordial hold, whereas Dinah evermore did bear a bow of gold. And yet she did deceive folks so. Upon a certain day, God Pan, with garland on his head of pine tree, saw her stray from Mount Lysias all alone, and thus to her did say, Until a god's request, O nymph, vouchsafe thou to agree that doth desire thy wedded spouse and husband, for to be. There was yet more behind to tell, as how that Syrinx fled through wayless woods and gave no ear to that that Pan had said, until she to the gentle stream of sandy laden came, where, for because it was so deep, she could not pass the same. She piteously to change her shape the water nymphs besought, and how when Pan between his arms to catch the nymph had thought, instead of her he caught the reeds new grown upon the brook. And as he sighed, with his breath the reeds he softly shook, which made a still and mourning noise, with strangeness of the witch and sweetness of the feeble sound the god delighted Mitch, said, Certes, Syrinx, for thy sake it is my full intent to make my comfort of these reeds wherein thou dost lament. And how that there of sundry reeds with wax together knit, he made the pipe which of her name the Greeks call Cyrenix yet. But as Selenus would have told this tale, he cast his sight on Argus, and behold his eyes had bid him all good night. There was not one that did not sleep, and fast he gained to nod. Immediately he ceased his talk, and with his charmed rod, so stroked all his heavy eyes that earnestly they slept.
Then with his wood knife by and by, he lightly to him stepped and lent him such a perilous blow, whereas the shoulders grow until the neck, that straight his head quite from the body flew. Then tumbling down the headlong hill, his bloodied corpse he sent, that all the way by which he rolled was stayed and besprent. There liest thou, Argus, underfoot, with all thy hundredth light, and all the light is clean extinct that was within those sights. And now the second tale has a cow telling Cadmus where to live when his men are attacked by a dragon. An old, foregrown, unfelled wood stood near at hand thereby, and in the midst a quetchy plot with sedge and osiers high, were corbed about with pebble stone in likeness of a bow, there was a spring with silver streams that forth thereof did flow. Here lurked in his lowering den God Mars his greasy snake, with golden scales and fiery eyes beswone with poison blake. Three spurting tongues, three rows of teeth within his head did stick. No sooner had the Tyrian folk set foot within this thick and quetchy plot, and dipped down their bucket in the well, but that to bustle in his den began the serpent fell. And peering with a marble head, right horribly to hiss. The Tyrians let their pitchers slip for sudden fear of this, and waxen pale as any clay, like folk amazed in flight, stood trembling like an aspen leaf. The speckled serpent straight comes trailing out in waving links and knotty rows of scales. And bending into bunchy bows, his body forth he hails. And lifting up above the waist himself until the sky, he overlooketh all the wood, as huge and big well nigh as is the snake that in the heaven about the northern pole divides the bears. He makes no stay but deals his dreadful dole among the Tyrians. Whether they did take them to their tools, or to their heels, or that their fear did make them stand like fools, and help themselves by none of both. He snapped up some alive, and swept in others with his tail, and some he did deprive of life with the rightness of his breath, and some other again he stings and poisons unto death, to all at last were slain. Now when the sun was at his height, and shadows waxed short, and Cadmus saw his company make Tarians in that sort, he marveled what should be their let, and went to seek them out. His harness was a lion's skin that wrapped him about. His weapons were a long, strong spear with head of iron tried, and ek a light and piercing dart. And there until beside worth all the weapons in the world, a stout and valiant heart. When Cadmus came within the wood and saw about that part, his men lay slain upon the ground, 
and eke their cruel foe of body huge stand over them, and licking with his blow and blasted tongue their sore wounds. Well, trusty friends, quoth he, I either of your piteous deaths will straight revenger be, or else will die myself therefore. With that he rotten fast a mighty millstone, at the snake with all his might it cast. The stone of such exceeding force and violence forth was driven, as of a fort that bulwark strong in walls it would have riven. And yet it did the snake no harm. His scales as hard and tough as if they had been plates of mail did fence him well enough, so that the stone rebounded back against his freckled slough. But yet his hardness saved him not against the piercing dart, for hidden right between the scales that yielded in that part, whereas the joints do knit the back, it thrilled through the skin and pierced to his filthy maw and greedy guts within. He, fierce with wrath, rings back his head, and looking on the strip, the javelin steel that sticked out between his teeth doth grip, the which with wrestling to and fro at length he forth did wind, save that he left the head thereof among his bones behind. When of his courage through the wound more kindled was the ire, his throat bowl swelled with puffed veins, his eyes gan sparkle fire. There stood about his smeared chaps a lothly foaming froth, his scaled breast plows up the ground, the stinking breath that goth out from his black and hellish mouth infects the herbs full foul. Sometime he winds himself in knots as round as any bowl, sometime he stretcheth out in length as straight as any beam. Anon again with violent brunt he rusheth like a stream, Increased by rage of lateful rain, and with his mighty sway, Bears down the wood before his breast that standeth in his way. Agenor's son, retiring back, doth with his lion spoil, Defend him from his fierce assaults, and makes him to recoil, I holding at the weapon's point. The serpent Waxen wood doth crash the steel between his teeth, And bites it till the blood, drop mixed with poison from his mouth, Did dye the green grass black. But yet the wound was very light, Because he writhed back, And pulled his head still from the stroke, And made the strip to die by giving way, Until that Cadmus following irefully the stroke, with all his power and might did through the throat him rive, and nailed him to an oak behind the which he eck did clive. The serpent's weight did make the tree to bend. It grieved the tree his body of the serpent's tail, thus scourge for to be. Thank you for listening to Warlock Vorabach Reads a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to like and share this podcast with your friends and family in person and on social media and in other various ways of communication. Our next poem was recently made into a 2021 film by the director David Lowry. Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Warlock Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And discover more of our podcasts at chpl.org slash podcasts.